All right, our scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 8, and kind of follows in that same line, that same idea of the greatness of God. And I'm trying, I'm not going to steal Pastor Bill's thunder here or anything like that, but uh, Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Job chapter 38. As we wrap up this series on uh, wisdom literature, our journey through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. We get to the end of the book. This is the good stuff. It's been pretty dark, I think, pretty dark journey up until this point in time, but in a way it, it may get a little darker, but I think there's light, a big bright light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. Before we read there, let me try and give you a little bit of perspective. And it's my goal this morning to, to broaden our perspective a little bit, and in the bulletins I put the title pass or fail and I thought boy that's a little brutal uh, after I got to thinking about it and, and I will explain that a little bit down the road but I want to talk about broadening our perspective sometimes we we just need to do that and I went back in my mind and, and back to the journey I made as a 10 year old boy when we decided to leave Holland and come to Canada and so we left our house one afternoon, late one afternoon in Holland, and, and we traveled to, from Rotterdam to Amsterdam, which isn't that big of a trip, and we went to Schiphol Airport, and we got on a plane, and it was just starting to get dark as we, as we left Amsterdam, and by the time I think we were over England somewhere, and it was pretty dark, and I could see the lights down below, and we flew all through the night, and six o'clock in the morning, or somewhere be, around that time, we landed in Montreal. And we needed to learn a whole lot about this country. We didn't know any English, and thankfully there were some people there that, that uh, were able to help us, and, and we were confused about whether we should travel with a CN rail or CP, and, and we got all that straightened out. And then we got on the train, and we rode for three days and three nights in the train from Montreal all the way to the central interior of British Columbia. Now, we got a taste of Canada that we had never even thought about. 
Holland is a country about one-third the size of Vancouver Island. You can drive the length of it, you can drive the width of it all in one day. Three days and three nights on the train. And so you try and explain to someone like the, the people on the train tried to do, uh, you know, why when we went for breakfast in the morning and, and we would eat one meal a day in the dining car and that was usually breakfast. But someone tried to explain to us in a language that we couldn't understand that we had crossed a time zone during the night and so now the dining car would be, you know, the schedule was off by an hour again. Couldn't understand that. We had to change perspective. And when people from Europe come to Canada, they, they, they're absolutely astounded by the distances that, that we have here. Even my mom, after being in Canada for years, when she would come to Nippon to visit on the bus, thought the prairies would never end. But even though we live in Canada, and even though we are fairly used to the distances. We know that it's eight hours from here to Winnipeg and it's eight hours to Edmonton and it's 20 hours to Denver and, and it's 20 hours to Vancouver and it's four days to Ontario or three or depending on how grueling you want to make this. We understand those kinds of distances. We have a certain sense of perspective. But even though we live in Canada, sometimes our world is no bigger than our little town. Or our world is no bigger than our neighborhood, or our circle of friends, or our family, or even our own life and our, our circumstances. And there are times that you and I get so wrapped up in the lives that we live and the circumstances in which we find ourselves that every once in a while we need to step back a little bit and change our perspective to understand this world in which we live. And the reality is, and I'm hoping to, to help you understand this this morning, that God is bigger. God is bigger than anything than you and I will ever face. God is bigger than all of my problems. God is bigger than all of my circumstances. God is bigger than all of my issues, and I can trust him. Let's go back in the story a little bit. You know the story of Job, this conversation in heaven between God and Satan. You know what happened to Job. He lost absolutely everything he had, including his health and his reputation, and he wound up sitting on a pile of ashes and scraping himself with a piece of pottery. Now, sometimes life comes unglued for all of us. When we're young, when we're kids, we have dreams and ambitions. Ambitions. I don't think anybody aspires to be a nobody. We all want to be a somebody. Nobody dreams of living a life of pain and hardship. And so that's our perspective as a child. I wanted to be this. I want to be a doctor. I want to be an oceanographer. I want to be this. Nobody wants to be a nobody. And then reality comes along, and you go to work. I remember the first job I had, and I worked for a farmer, and I got up, and I, I spent many of my mornings sitting underneath a wet cow. It wasn't particularly appealing. And thankfully, now for some of you, that's a wonderful reality for me. Hmm, not really. 
And so then reality sets in and, and, and you go to work and, and I went to work the next summer in a sawmill and I learned how to pile lumber and then, you know, and you, and you go to work and then after you get out of high school, you go to work and then you go to work some more and you go to work and you got to get up early in the morning and pack your lunch and, and work when it's raining and work when it's miserable and pay the bills and all that other fun stuff. And then there's aches and pains and illness and everything else. Yeah, there are a lot of good things in life like love and happiness and health and food and family and friends, but life just sometimes gets us down. And what happens when life starts getting us down is that our world tends to become very, very, very small until it's all about me. And Job couldn't understand why his life turned into a disaster. Job demanded an audience with the one who had done this to him. His friends tried to tell him that it was all his fault and Job's pile of ashes became the center of his universe. Now that's one of the realities of life. Every once in a while things happen to us and, and our world shrinks and that's only natural. Think of a family who has a child with a serious illness. That family is consumed with doctor's appointments and hospitals and, and treatments and, and medication and, and all the rest of these things and travel back and forth and where are you going to stay? How are we going to pay the bills? And, and that's just one of the realities of life and sometimes you know it's all we can do to survive. But even sometimes in the sphere of normal life it winds up being all about me. And it's been said that a man who is, or a person who is wrapped up in himself makes a pretty small package. And sometimes when that happens, we need a change in perspective. Job had pictured himself. He said, if I could only, man, he said, if I could only get God to stand before me. I could argue with him. I could be a lawyer. I could argue my case before God, and I would win. The trouble was that Job and his friends not only had the wrong answers, they'd been asking all the wrong questions. And so finally, after all this back and forth stuff, God talks to Job. God begins to talk. And what he does is absolutely astounding. He hurls a set of questions at Job. Now there's two ways of taking this and, and the Bible says that God answered Job out of the storm and you can take this, it's like, like God saying, hey, Job, can you, you know, pay attention here. Can you do this? Can you do that? And, and it's like God keeps hitting Job. And every time God hits Job, he gets a little lower and a little lower. And God is out to humiliate him. I don't think that this is what's happening here. 
But Job had a, uh, an incomplete understanding of who God was. And so God starts out by drawing a circle around Job, and he's drawing the circles ever closer. It's like a spiral, and it keeps winding around Job until he finally has no place to go, and he has a glimpse of who this God is that he wanted to challenge. And so when God talks to Job, he does two things. One is God changes the subject. Never once does he talk to Job about what Job is going through. Never once does God give him a reason. Never once does God give him an explanation. Never once does God justify what he did. Never once does God tell him about the conversation that happened in heaven when all this stuff, before all these things came off the rails. And so God changes the subject. And number two, God widens Job's horizons. And God showed Job that his ash pile was not the center or the circumference of the universe. In other words, there is more to life, Job, than just your little life. And God's intention was not to humiliate Job, but to let Job sit at his feet. To let Job learn about the character of God by taking a walk with God through all of creation and contemplating what God has done. Job needed to broaden his perspective of who God was. Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. Scary place to be. And he asks Job this series of questions. Now, if you read through the book, some will say there are more than 60 questions. Some will say there are more than 70. I found 76. Now, you can talk about uh, Hebrew poetry and, and, and the intricacies of that. But I am going to ask you those same questions that God asked Job. And I'm going to get in your face. Because this, these are the questions that God asked Job. And so this isn't just me talking. This is God talking to you this morning because I took it right out of his word. And so I'm going to come to you. And so God said to Job, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who marked off its dimensions? Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were the earth's footings said? Who laid its cornerstone? while the morning stars sang together and shouted for joy. Who shut the sea up behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Have you ever given orders to the morning? Or have you shown the dawn its place? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? What is the way to the abode of light? 
Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed? What is the way to the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrent of rain? Who cuts a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loosen the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Can you lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who endowed the heart with wisdom? Or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of heaven when the dust becomes hard and the clouds of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? Who provides food for the ravens when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch till the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied his ropes? Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will he stay by your manger at night? Can you hold him to the furrows with a harness? Will he till the valleys behind you? Will you leave your heavy work to him? Will you rely on him for his great strength? Can you trust him to bring in your grain and gather it to your threshing floors? Do you give the horse his strength or clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you make him leap like a locust, striking terror with his proud snorting? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? and spread his wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? God asked Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Can anyone capture behemoth? Now, talks about two animals here, behemoth and leviathan. I think they're dinosaurs, what God is talking about. Can anyone capture him, behemoth, by the eyes or trap him and pierce his nose? Can you pull in the leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? 
Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he keep begging you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you for you to take him as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders barter for him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? Who dares open the doors of his mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? And God gives to Job a running commentary on some of these great things he has done. Seventy-six questions. It's a pop quiz. How would you do? Do you answer those questions? By the time God gets done asking you all those questions, can you do this? Can you do that? Were you there when I did this? Can you create the constellations? Can you do all these things? It's a pop quiz, 76 questions. Doesn't take that long to write that exam. I've written some exams in school that have taken me four hours or more to do. 76 questions, it doesn't take that long. But how would you, you do? And so you find the answer to that question, how would you do, in chapter 42. Through all of those questions, through all of God's commentary, Job has held his tongue. And I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have a whole lot to say either. Now, in one way, you can shrink back and, and feel like God pounded you into this ground and you come out of this like a worm. On the other hand, I think God said to Job, come take a walk with me. Here's what I can do. And let's get your perspective changed. And so verse 40 or chapter 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Never once, never once did God answer Job's questions. But Job learned that God didn't abandon him. And I think it gradually dawned on Job that without knowing why he was suffering, he could face it. So long as he was assured that God was his friend. 
And no matter what you and I go through, God is our friend. He has our best interests in, at heart. That means that I can trust him. That means that I can let him be God and let him do what he knows is best. Even though I may not understand it, even though I may not agree with it. And if you read the rest of the story, you will find this, verse 10 of chapter 42. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life, more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died, old and full of years. Sometimes we just need to broaden our perspective. And life is a whole lot bigger than my little ash pile. And no matter what happens, there is a God out there who loves me. A God who has dedicated himself to taking care of me. A God who knows. A God who can do absolutely anything that he wants to do. And if he knows and if he decides what is best, why should I argue with him? I may not understand it, but I can trust him. And I know that in the end, I will stand before him and this little life on earth will be absolutely nothing compared to what God has planned for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for broadening our perspective. It's not just about me. And the picture is even bigger than sometimes we imagine it to be. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your greatness, your immenseness, your awesome power. And thank you, Lord, for your closeness, that you care about each and every single one of us. The very hairs on our head are numbered. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us as we leave this place. We pray that you would comfort and impress us with your love. Thank you for rejoicing over us with singing. Lord, we want to tell you that we trust you and that you can do whatever you want to do. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.